feel a little out of practice with all of this presiding and preaching thing. It's been a few weeks since I was here. Uh, last week, it helps if you turn the microphone on too. Last week I was at Synod and uh, we had lots of good debates. Uh, but we actually spent some time first near the beginning talking about General Synod, Tehino Te Whanui. Uh, and um, in particular, Motion 30, so you're all looking a little puzzled, Motion 30. Motion 30 was really all that General Synod was about this year, and it was the motion about gay marriage, whether we could recognise it or not. So in the end, to remind you, General Synod said that they would uphold the traditional doctrine of marriage, so marriage would be between a man and a woman, but... Uh, that they also wanted to move to a place where we could bless the marriages between gay people that are happening in wider society. So a task group has been set up to write that service and to write the legislation around that, and that will be brought back to the next General Synod. They've also asked that group to report for our future on the theology of ordination to Anglican orders and requirements for that, given that we actually do have a significant number of gay people who are married, who are ordained, and our theology of marriage. And lastly, uh, they also acknowledge that all too often our church has been complicit in homophobic thinking and actions of society and has failed to speak out against hatred and violence against those with same-gender attraction. Now... All of this feels pretty radical, doesn't it? How did we get to this place? Well, it's taken ten years to get to this place, and we still have further to go. Ten years ago, Archbishop David Moxon, because of what was happening in the wider Anglican Communion, suggested that this church, at least, should hold three hermeneutical hui's. Hermeneutics is how we read Scripture. And in fact, there ended up being four. They were a couple of days... Uh, where representatives from all the dioceses and those representatives were supposed to come from all the theological uh, viewpoints and from all the tikanga. Uh, And they looked at, the first one was, how do we read the Bible? How do we use it? And the next one was, what does the Bible tell us about leadership? What does the Bible tell us about marriage? What does the Bible tell us about same-sex orientation? So it's been quite a process to get to this point that has been rooted in how we read Scripture. Two years ago, General Synod set up a commission, the Marfea Commission, to look particularly at this issue of same-sex marriage. And they took, uh, they went around and lots of people put in submissions, individuals, parishes, dioceses, interest groups put in submissions, arguing their points. And they went around like a select committee and people came and talked to them. And it was their report that really led to General Synod basically being around this issue. They did the other business of General Synod on the edges. They spent three days arguing, talking about Motion 30. And most of that time was spent in caucuses, either tikanga or house. So... Tikangas, Māori, Pākā, Pacifica, and House is House of Clergy, House of Bishops, House of, La- House of Laity. And those three days were gruelling. The conversations were intense. 
And to be honest, for some of us, the result was a lot less than we were hoping for. And for others, it was a lot more than they're comfortable with. We've already had two vicars who have declared they can no longer be part of the church because this is not biblical, they have said. The Bible forbids it, so should we, and we should leave. One of the questions they raise is, do we have the authority to read scripture in this way? That question leads me to today's gospel reading. And I want to spend some time looking at that question in light of the gospel reading and in light of some material that I had read in a book that I recently listened to called Velvet Elvis by Rob Bell. So Velvet Elvis, that does not sound particularly promising, does it? Well, it's very promising. And Rob Bell, for those of you who know him, is uh, one of the founders, well, a founder of one of the mega churches in America, Mars Hill. And, uh, and those of you who have been lucky enough to be here on the Sunday after Christmas when I haven't preached but shown a DVD of a guy doing a little talk, that guy was Rob Bell. So he's an interesting guy. So Rob Bell says that we should treat Jesus of the Bible as a rabbi. And he then goes on to describe the process by which somebody becomes a rabbi. So you become a rabbi by, first of all, going to Hebrew school when you're six. He said at that time, every Jewish male went to Hebrew school. And they would spend the first four years learning Hebrew and learning the Torah off by heart. That's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Off by heart. And if you survived that, if you didn't survive that, then you went home to your dad and you learned his trade and you became whatever your dad was. But if you survived that and kept going, the next number of years were spent learning the rest of the Hebrew Bible off by heart. So I'm not going to name those Bibles because I'd get lost in the prophets. And uh, if I even got to the prophets, to be honest. Uh, so I don't even know the names of all those books. They had to learn all of them off by heart and the commentary on them. What the rabbinic schools were saying about all of those books. And then, if you survive that, then you would go and apply to be a disciple of a rabbi. And a disciple is someone who went with that rabbi everywhere. Everywhere, even to the toilet in case you miss something. So, and you would end up at the end of the day covered in your master's dust, flicked up from the back of his shoes. That's how close you were. Now, these rabbis all belonged to different schools. And they would, there were a number of different understandings of the Torah those first five books, the Law of Moses, around. And they belonged to one of those schools which taught one of those understandings, and you would learn that understanding. Now, the idea of these schools was that they were trying to get as close to what the Torah taught and allowed or did not allow in that situation. So, what, was, what the Torah was said to allow was described as being loosed, and what the Torah did not allow was described as being bound. 
Now, this should ring little bells for you. We've heard this language. This is the language that Jesus used. What was loosed and what was bound. And all of those loosing and boundings were put together and they were called a yoke. So there were a number of different yokes. And those yokes, some of them were hard, some of them were medium, they were probably the Anglicans, and some of them were easy. They were described as easy. And again, we've heard Jesus use this language, my yoke is easy. And so what Rob Bell is saying here, is suggesting Jesus is saying here, is my teaching of the Torah is easy. Okay, that's what all that is about. So, when you went to a rabbi to be his disciple, you were going to learn one yoke. And your rabbi would always begin his teaching, I, by the authority of this rabbi, I tell you. And this is where we come to today's reading. Because there's a problem with Jesus in all of this. And it's the problem we heard this morning. He did not ever cite another rabbi, did he? He never says, by the authority of this rabbi, I tell you. And so people kept saying to him, this morning's question, by whose authority do you say these things? Which school do you belong to? Whose yoke are you teaching? We don't understand. In the myriad of yokes, where are you? Now, it's clear that Jesus didn't belong to any of them. Although, it's also clear from readings like this morning's reading that he took quite a lot, both in terms of what he taught and his practice from John the Baptist. There are clear links and some would even say that John was his rabbi. He went to John to be his disciple. Every now and again, a rabbi, a radical new rabbi would arise, and he would teach a new yoke. And he would teach this yoke by beginning with the words, You have heard it said, but I say to you, You have heard it said, but I say to you, those are the words that Jesus speaks. And when he uses them, he is saying, I am declaring, teaching a new yoke. And he describes his yoke as an easy yoke. But Jesus goes beyond this. Three weeks ago, we heard this reading, and I will use Mark Davis's translation. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be what has been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be what has been loosed in heaven. I'm going to read it again, and I want you to think about what I've just said. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be what has been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth 
will be what has been loosed in heaven. Not only was Jesus teaching a new yoke, he was giving those hearers, his disciples, the authority and the responsibility to create a new yoke themselves. He didn't just say, this is what is bound and this is what is loosed. He said, you will have to decide that. You decide what is bound and you decide what is loosed. No other rabbi ever did that. They expected their disciples to teach what they were taught. Jesus says, you work it out. And that was unheard of. Now, those lines we kind of hear, and often they make us feel uncomfortable. Three, well, nearly four weeks ago when we had our Tuesday morning service, we talked about that reading, and it, we heard that as we are passing moral judgment on others. That is how those, that's how we hear those lines. But that's not what those lines are about at all. They are about creating a new yoke, a new understanding of the Torah, a new reading of Scripture. The early disciples had to live out this pretty early on. We read that in Acts 15. When Paul's work in the Gentile world, world forced the Jerusalem church to work out a new yoke, a new understanding of the Torah and how it applied to these Gentiles. This Jerusalem church, this group of people who were devout Jews who met in the temple and still partook in the temple rituals, the temple sacrifices. James the Just, the brother of Jesus, who when he was stoned to death, led to devout Jews in Jerusalem rising up in revolt against the high priest who ordered that stoning because he was so devout. These devout Jews, this is their new yoke. Actually, most of the Torah doesn't apply. Can you imagine that? Now, we read Acts 15 as if, oh, yeah, well, that makes sense. Not much of the Torah applies. Can you imagine any rabbi coming up with that yoke? That's pretty easy. And it's really, really radical. Now, when the conversations about same-sex marriage were going on a few years ago, there were several people saying, this is the biggest issue that's ever faced the church. That was an online discussion. I went, really? Bigger than Acts 15? You think? Oh, yeah, this is way bigger. Um, I think you've kind of missed the point of Acts 15, really. This is a bunch of Jews saying, actually, we don't have to follow the law of Moses particularly. Well, these people over there do. We do, they don't. So, their new yoke was very different to what Jesus had taught. Based on what Jesus had taught. And what Jesus taught was compassion and generosity, especially for the poor and the outcast of sinner. But, very different. Because Jesus, in the end, was a devout Jew. And if we read Paul's letters... Paul, who keeps being quoted in all of these arguments, we see the same process going on. Paul, with his churches, deciding what is bound and what is loosed. Deciding what the yoke for his church will be. 
and we have the same responsibility. So there are a few things we need to take out of all of this. The first is that there is not one meaning of Scripture which is fixed for all time. There wasn't in Jesus' time, there wasn't in the early church, and there still isn't today. The second is, Jesus gives us the responsibility to decide what the Torah means in today's world. It is a huge responsibility, and it is one we need to take very seriously. This responsibility, however, sits with the community and not with us as individuals. It's only been in the last 550 years, about a quarter of the life of the church, that we have even been able to read as individuals at home the scriptures. I'm sure that sentence should have been in a different order, but never mind. That's because the printing press was, was invented and the Bible could be printed easily on paper. And so individuals could take copies of the scriptures home and read it by themselves. Up to that point, you only ever heard the scriptures read in community. And then in community, you would work out what it meant. It is the community's responsibility. So... While I personally don't think General Synod went far enough in its motion, I will respect the decision they made because of the process they went through. They took seriously the fact that they were creating a new yoke, and we have spent as a church nearly 10 years getting to this point, and we still have at least four more years to go. The way that General Synod works is, for services, they come to General Synod, they get approved, they then go back to all the dioceses to be approved, and then it goes back to General Synod, who then is a new General Synod, because new people have been elected, and it's approved. So it's a two-year process, and the next General Synod is in two years' time. So it's at least four years, and maybe longer, before this comes to any kind of resolution. We have taken our responsibilities seriously. We have understood that we have the authority to decide what is bound and what is loosed. And we have undertaken that as a church community, involving as many people as possible, and in the process having some very robust and healthy conversations. And those conversations have been centred around how we read Scripture, and what scripture says to the situation. Both the verses that are often quoted, but also all the verses that were written around those particular verses. What Paul meant in, his, in the letter in the, in the entirety, and also in the rest of scripture. Most importantly, what Jesus taught in the Gospels. So what does all this mean for us? Surely this is general synod, highfalutin out there somewhere. That shouldn't have to bother us. Well, the work of deciding yokes is not done. It is ongoing. It will never be finished. And it involves us as part of God's community. All of us need to take Scripture seriously. We need to be engaged in understanding Scripture, understanding the big picture, engaged in understanding what it means today.
It is our responsibility to determine the yoke of Jesus. And when we are asked by what authority we do this, we can say with some confidence, we do it under the name of Jesus, our rabbi.